Welcome to Bitcoin Fixes This, where we explore the impact that Bitcoin will have in all aspects of society. Today's guest is Will Cole, VP of Product at Unchained Capital. We talk about product management, his journey, and what Unchained Capital is doing. We also talk about Bitcoin Commons and the vision for how Bitcoin and Austin will go together. Will Cole, welcome to the show, man. Jimmy Song, glad to be here. <laughs> How's everything going? Things are good. South by in Austin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little bit busy traffic-wise, everything like that, but yeah. it's great. Yeah. I, what, what about the set, man? Like, uh, I mean, we're, we're at the Unchained Capital offices, and this is, you know, we, I, I haven't seen this before, and, you know, I literally just saw this like 10 minutes before, and we were just talking about it. Wow. Wow. Like, how did this happen? How did, how, how, how did we get such a nice studio? What, what, what's going on here? Man? Yeah. I mean, so technically we're not in the Unchained offices, right? Okay. Now. We're in the Bitcoin commons mm-hmm. and it's a very di- different thing, but specifically where, where we are right now is, uh, you know, this was the, uh, the, dr- the dream child of Marty Bent and uh, <laughs> getting his perfect podcast set up here as part of the Bitcoin commons. But mm. um, yeah, I mean, uh, we, we moved offices at Unchained uh, Capital G's and, January, I want to say. We found this beautiful building in downtown Austin. Um, It was really important for us to find something that fit the character of the type of company that we wanted to build. Something that was solid, something that had history, Mm. something that was native to Austin Mm. and uh, not some glass monstrosity that's been built in the last five years that, you know, we'll let Facebook have those uh, places. So we found this place at 6th and Congress, center of the town. Uh, We got the... the entire floor here. And with part of it, um, we had a vision for building a space for Bitcoiners of which, you know, part of the space for Bitcoiners was supposed to be a nice studio where people coming in and out of Austin where you and Marty and everyone else could, could really, uh, you know, do your thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll definitely get to Bitcoin comments. Yeah, sorry, all, sorry. The, all the stuff that's it. But let, let's uh, let's start with your background because uh, a lot of people don't know who you are. Can you tell us a little bit about you know who you are, what you do, and how you got into Bitcoin? Yeah. Uh, so I'm Will Cole. Uh, I um, am a product manager by training. Mm-hmm. Uh, I work here at Unchained Capital on the product and design side. Um, I've been a Bitcoiner for a long time. Uh, I think technically over a decade now, which is kind of fun. Um, and uh, yeah, no, uh, my, my background was in product and engineering. Um, I grew up in a family of engineers and uh, rebelling in my family was not being an engineer. My dad, my <laughs> uncle, my brother, like everyone. Um, and then I found out about this world of product management. And um, I really... You know, I worked on startups when I was younger, um, uh, fresh out of school. And uh, then when I went to Stack Overflow, I really wanted to learn under uh, Joel Spolsky, who was, at least at the time, uh, even still today, the most prolific writer and the best writer about, you know, product development process and being uh, being a product leader. And so I was a part of Stack Overflow from um, 2012 until 2019. Mm. Yeah, learning yep. the ins and outs there. Well, so what made you get into product development? Because that, that to me is, I don't know, I'm an engineer, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm the guy that you, you know, works with people like you to, uh, you know, go build stuff. Uh, what, what made you want to do that in particular? And what, uh, what got you to understand that you have a talent for it? What, what was that like? 
Yeah. So I think part of it was, you know, I'd been programming as a kid. Uh, I, I wrote, you know, uh, basic. Um, I learned uh, early web development tools some JavaScript and HTML and all that stuff. Um, I didn't particularly like it. Um, I didn't like being an engineer. I don't think I think like an engineer. Um, um, and, um, but once I sort of found out that there was a way to be involved in the development of web products in particular, is what I was focused on, but you didn't have to be an engineer. That was very exciting for me, uh, because I wanted to be involved, but I didn't want to be the person writing code. Um, however, uh, you know, finding out that I was good at it was kind of a long process. Um, you don't know if you're good at it, especially when you're like 23 <laughs> and you have to build credibility with a bunch of programmers. Like it, it's kind of hard, but given my background of how I grew up and what I had studied and all those types of things, I found that um, I fit the mold of a product manager even before I knew there was a title of product manager. Mm. Um, that uh, I could communicate well with engineers. I knew how to get requirements to them in a way that they understood. Um, I could commiserate with them when uh, <laughs> things were insane and, and uh, requirements were changing from stakeholders all around. Um, and I found that like I developed sort of this idea that um, in product development, if you don't have engineers, you can't build anything. If you don't have designers, it's going to look like crap. If you don't have salespeople, no one's going to buy it. If you don't have a product manager, you can still do all those things. Like that our job is to make all those things work better. Right? And if you are a good communicator, if you're a good writer, um, and if you have enough technical knowledge to be credible with engineers, you can have an immense sort of impact on the value that you can deliver to customers. You can actually create value without writing code. Hmm. And I found a way to create value without writing code. Hmm. Well, so I imagine a lot of people listening to this podcast or watching us on YouTube, uh, you know, they they are interested in getting into the Bitcoin space. Um, so, you know, they, this sounds, I, I'm sure all of the stuff that you're saying, uh, you know, they're, they're nodding along and saying, oh yeah, I... I, I, I love being in the technical side, but I'm not really a coder. I don't really enjoy coding. Um, so I, why don't you tell us your story of how you got into the, that role mm -hmm. and what advice you might have for people that are seeking to get in those roles? Sure. Um, I kind of pretended at first. I gave myself the job <laughs> because I was doing startups. Mm -hmm. um, I did two startups uh, before I had like a real job mm. um, where I got to do whatever I wanted. And so I, I, I played the role of a product founder of two different startups. And uh, I learned a lot. You know, mostly what I was reading back then were, um, you know, early stuff from Jeff Patton, from Joel Spolsky, from Ryan Singer uh, at Basecamp. And I was sort of learning on the fly, um, which is really a good way to learn about product development is just to do it, right? Mm. Um, most, most product development books or product management books suck. Uh, they're not very good. There's a million agile development books that teach you how to be a scrum master. But when you're actually building software, nothing goes by the book. Um, and so I like to tell uh, product managers that are younger is that you want to be like the, um, like the handyman that shows up to your house where you can say, that light fixture doesn't work <laughs> and that toilet's broken and this HVAC system isn't working. And the handyman has this tool set and he can fix your light mm -hmm. and he can fix your toilet and he can fix your HVAC system. You have to be multidisciplinary. 
And usually just reading these same books about agile development or, you know, stage gate or whatever it is, isn't going to make you a multidisciplinary, you know, type of person that can rise to the challenge, challenges that come with building software. So I found that just doing it and really just giving myself the job was really uh, important. But I also found a voice, like a, a perspective, and I became opinionated about the right way to build software. And a lot of it came from being flexible, knowing my role in it was not to dictate things to engineers necessarily, but to find out how to get the most out of an engineering team or an individual. And a lot of that came from working with Joel and uh, spending a lot of time in a more formal setting as a product manager at Stack Overflow, building a product that I was immensely proud of and passionate about, but also learning from people that had been around the block. You know, Joel had built Excel at Microsoft, you know, like, you know, it doesn't get much bigger than building those types of products. And um, it taught me a lot. And then I got to find my own voice there. I got to hire a team. Um, I got to build new products without his oversight. Um, and, um, you know, really it was about just, it's kind of like, uh, it's not timing the market, it's time in the market. It was just spending enough time in, in, uh, and seeing enough scenarios of how things, things can go wrong taught me <laughs> the, the, the tool set that I needed to make things sure things normally go right. Well, so what are some of those things that if you are trying to get into this industry and I, I and I know lots of younger people that maybe aren't really, they, they sure. realize they're not like the rock star coder, but they, mm -hmm. they have enough technical chops to, you know, speak credibly to engineers, for example, mm -hmm. like what, what advice do you have for them to get, better at that without necessarily like having to go to a startup and like giving themselves that role like where where can they get some practical experience on that because with engineers it's pretty simple you go and contribute to an open source project or something like that mm -hmm. you, you know there, there are many paths to being a good engineer what what's the path to becoming a good product manager yeah i think you know building up that credibility it, it's, it isn't as easy as just having written code before you have to kind of experience what engineers go through. So for me, you know, the startup thing was not just giving myself the job. It was, um, it was finding an engineer to work with because they could make things happen that I couldn't. Right. And learning the ins and outs of what was going to make them successful. And, um, so if you're trying to get into it, like one is the best thing you can possibly do is get hired as a associate PM, the big companies, the Microsofts and, and Googles and Apples of the world have these sort of associate type programs or join a startup where they have these sort of jack of all trades roles where they need someone who can, you know, both, you know, organize a, a JIRA board, right? <laughs> and like, you know, bring, bring order to chaos, right? And they also need someone to pick up breakfast tacos in the morning, right? <laughs> and you can kind of do everything and you can slip in. I find that uh, you know, there's a lot of different like paths to this. And I would say the most obvious path, or, sorry, the most successful paths that I've seen personally are people that just do sort of the jack of all trades startup thing and just get a lot of broad experience where they can take that experience to product development in a more controlled way mm -hmm. and add value where they've gone through one of these associate programs or, you know, if they're absolutely obsessed with the domain that they're going in and therefore they're at an information advantage than anyone else working there. And so if you're an information advantage, then you should be dictating, you know, what gets built. You should be dictating what customers want. Um, and a lot of that just comes with obsession. 
Um, but the practical skills you need are you need to be able to communicate, right? Both written and, 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 you know, with words, right? In a very clear way. And you have to be high energy, like no low energy people are going to be good product <laughs> managers. Um, you, you need to keep forward momentum at, at any given time, even on the dullest projects that you're working on. And that is something that I've noticed about like the really good product managers is that they they can they can just sort of move things forward. They're always sort of like, okay, where where are we stuck? And they they go figure it out and you know maybe get a decision from a VP or you know mm -hmm. like oh I we we need this uh, widget defined by a designer or whatever. And they 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 just make sure that everyone is constantly moving. They're they're kind of the you know, cat herder or something, right? Like just sort of making everything happen. Sure. I mean, like it, it really depends on the, like the, the construct of the team that you're working on, but there's certainly, I'm going to mix up quotes all over the place <laughs> during this. And I don't know who said this, but you know, this idea that, um, you know, uh, a bad decision is better than no decision, right? Or that stagnation is the enemy, right? That's what you're fighting against. Or I think it was uh, Phil Knight at Nike that was just like grow or die. <laughs> right forward momentum especially in software projects like you can lose everything by just second guessing yourself by doubting yourself by by uh, you know analysis by paraly uh, paralysis by analysis type situations where um where the the real thing you need to do is get software into users hands and then see what happens right you can always make it better right um you know you, you have to have the viable, the V, an MVP, but really the goal should be get software in people's hands and then move from there. And you need fo constant forward momentum, constant energy in order to make that happen because there's a million reasons not to do things. There's a million reasons to overanalyze things. There's a million reasons to over-architect things. And you need someone who has a sense of proportion that can motivate and keep that moving forward. Mm. Well, so you, you've been doing this role for a while. What, what, what are some things that you learned from Joel when you were at Stack that, that have had an impact in your career as a product manager? Oh, geez. So many things. <laughs> uh, um, you know, one was uh, becoming a better writer. Mm -hmm. uh, Joel's a phenomenal writer, and it's a way a product manager can scale themselves. I wasn't a particularly good writer when I went into Stack Overflow. And um, there are really small things that you can do that make working on a project better. Like I tell jokes in my specs, for instance, <laughs> because if you write a seven page spec and it's just boring to read, like, <laughs> oh my God, like it's like, it's just a nightmare for an engineer to go through this. And it just seems, it seems terrible, right? Mm -hmm. You can make it engaging. You can be a good writer and write something that is serious at the same time that needs to be followed, you know, to the spec, right? Um, so the focus on enhancing my abilities as a writer to feel confident in uh, being playful, even in a serious document, to make sure that it was engaging and that people would remember what I wrote and that uh, <laughs> random things weren't being built. Um, so that was like the first thing is that he was such a good writer that um, it really caused me to realize that I needed to up my game. But it also meant that I could scale myself, that I, I was a good speaker. I could, I was persuasive. Um, I could argue well, um, uh, but that's very, that's a retail way of communicating. Yeah. That doesn't scale very well. Yeah. <laughs> the wholesale way of communicating is write a doc and get 15 people to agree. Right. Um, that was the first thing was just really upping my game there. The other one though was, um, you know, just being opinionated, right. 
is not not in the way that I think uh, a lot of people will take this. Being opinionated meant that um, uh, for me was I knew that there were 15 different ways that this project could go successfully, right? And there wasn't one methodology and there wasn't one silver bullet. My, my opinionated uh, part of it was that above the product, uh, the, the methodology that you use, that you find the primitives uh, of software development that these things are always true when something goes well and you weren't just lucky, right? If you were, if you were good on purpose, there are only a few things that you need to do really well Right. And you do those every single time. And it doesn't matter what methodology you use underneath. Right. You have a good strategy. You know what you want to do. Right. People that walk into projects with no strategy fail more often than they succeed. Right. That you have a, you have a defined process for discovering re requirements. Right. You know how to talk to customers. You know how to analyze data. You know how to trust your own intuition. Uh, if you're obsessed with the domain, but you can discover requirements in a repeatable way right? That um, you have a way of testing these assumptions, right? Mm. Um, and that uh, you know how to keep forward momentum going when things inevitably go wrong when you start writing code, mm. right? And then lastly, you know how to tell the world what you did. Mm. Okay, well, so there's like five things there, right? Mm -hmm. You have a good strategy, mm -hmm. you have a good discovery process, you know how to build things, you know, and interact with engineers, you know how to test things, mm -hmm. right? And you know how to get the word out, right? Well, that's not a methodology, right? Mm -hmm. But you can use those primitives in any of the methodologies. If you just do those five things mm -hmm. consistently, any of the methodologies are going to work. Mm -hmm. So that was where I became opinionated at a more abstract level mm -hmm. than just like, oh, well, I, I'm a scrum master <laughs> and I do agile this way and you can only do Kanban boards this way or, mm -hmm. you know, all that is just fluff. Um, uh, if you get those five things right, you can build good software consistently hmm. sounds like a book you need to write man. that that the the <laughs> principles behind the actual processes is, yeah i think what you're getting at here. yeah and to be honest i think that you know the thing that i see where people struggle the most um is at the very beginning not a lot of people actually know what they want to build <laughs> they think that like some vague idea is enough right i think jeff Patton wrote this uh back in like 2008 uh he has a blog um uh the title is uh oh, it's, a, it's a sex pistols uh, a quote it's a don't know what i want but i know how to get it and he has this famous picture of the mona lisa where one person's thinking of the mona lisa and it says a woman in a pastoral setting mm. right he's imagining a woman in a pastoral setting but you don't have the mona lisa there you don't you're still trying to figure it out mm. and that's the process of iteration right where you're iterating because you don't know what you want yet mm. right and then there's another person who just has a picture of the Mona Lisa in their head, right? And that's an incremental way of building. It's like, well, okay, I can do this part of the painting over here. I can do this mm -hmm. part over here. But you have a full vision of what you want. Very few people have a full vision of what they want when they start, and they misrepresent what iteration actually looks like. They don't even have the woman in the pastoral setting mm -hmm. idea when they start to write code. That's a really bad time to start writing code. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. And uh, what, what way, in what ways do you end up screwing up as a result of that? I mean, it's, it's, it's all, sorry, a failure in strategy, in strategy always ends in tragedy, right? <laughs> like you can't get good results. I mean, maybe you get lucky, right? But the, no, the end results are usually you never finish. Because you never know what you wanted in the first part. 
you build something that no one wants, so you've wasted everyone's time, or you break all the relationships and credibility that you have with uh, fellow team members, right? And even knowing all these things, those are still at risk. You can do everything right and it can still go wrong, but your chances of things going correct, like, uh, or, or going wrong are very high when you don't know what you want. Um, it reminds me of a lot of altcoin projects, right? <laughs> you know, people come in with these like lazy ideas of like what money is and where value is or why Bitcoin's valuable. Like go off world and, computer. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's too, it's too fluffy, right? That's, that's not, it's not tangible enough to build something off of, apparently. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's switch gears a little bit. You, you, you've been, uh, in, in the product management space for a long time. How do you see Bitcoin and what it's trying to do? Because we, we talked a little bit about altcoins and their sure. sort of lack of vision or lack of definition around what they want. How, when you're looking at Bitcoin, what do you see? I want to answer this with a little bit of a story. Okay, yeah. Okay. So early on, you know, 20, let's call it 2012 through 2018, I had a very perverse view of like where I could add value in the Bitcoin world, which was basically that I couldn't. Right. I looked at it mostly from the core protocol layer and I didn't see the core protocol layer needing someone with my skill set. Right. Then I looked at like, what are the products out there? It's like, well, they're all exchanges and I'm not that interested in building an exchange. I mean, they're fine. Don't get me wrong. Like it's all fine, but it wasn't very motivating to me. So I just looked at Bitcoin as an investor. Right. And someone who admired it and uh, who understood from an economic standpoint, that had some technical knowledge of how it worked, especially due to meeting you and, mm -hmm. and other people, right? But I didn't know how I could uh, create value. And it was really, um, you know, one of my good friends, Parker Lewis, that was like, well, you know, I, I did, again, I'm going to butcher the quote, but, mm -hmm. you know, if Bitcoin's money, what's the product of money? And I was like, I don't know, exchanges? And it all <laughs> looks kind of boring. He's like, no, it's financial services, right? Mm -hmm. And for that, you have to build software and you need software teams. And you need people like you that can add value, right? And so for me, Bitcoin starting out, my view of it was very much, you know, from my, I got a terrible economics education mm. in school, like a classic Keynesian education, but I was in, you know, I was in the technical world and I was learning about Austrian economics, you know, in, you know, post QE. Mm. And so I looked at it and I saw value. I just didn't see where I added value, right? Mm. Or where someone who wasn't writing code would add value because honestly like for the first several years unless you were shilling bitcoin on youtube you know like unless you were trace mayor saying buy bitcoin for a nickel <laughs> you know or you were you know luke dasher writing mm -hmm. code like you weren't really adding all that much value to the to bitcoin itself mm -hmm. and i didn't really fit either of those molds now i definitely see uh, like a vision for like how um and, and maybe i was just dumb all those years, you know, for not understanding that. But I really well, you didn't. bought some, so I, I don't think anyone can call you dumb. So yeah. Sure, sure. But I, I, I do regret sometimes that I wasn't able to, to get in earlier because I think that if I had heard those words before, it's like the product of money is financial services, that it would have been clearer to me earlier where I could add value. I'm very happy to be doing it now. I mean, yeah. <laughs> So you see Bitcoin, you, uh, you know, you saw it as this project with that, that was money. Mm -hmm. And you saw that the goal of money is the is financial services. So talk to me about like this transition from you know being at Stack Overflow mm -hmm. and you know maybe even coming to Austin and seeing seeing this community. What what made you 
really get involved in the Bitcoin community? Why why leave this incredible company with uh, you know uh, you know a lot of users and everything else that's mm-hmm. going really well? Why why come to Unchained Capital? What, what's the deal? Yeah, it was it was kind of an interesting journey for me because you know you know call it 2018 or so uh, I joined the Wyoming Blockchain Task Force. And so their goal was to write legislation that would create a jurisdiction where um, Bitcoin companies and, and people, you know, miners and everyone uh, could have uh, certainty around the law that, you know, their business wasn't going to be illegal tomorrow, right? <laughs> uh, they, we set up a chancery court. So I was involved in that. Um, it, was, uh, it was a legislative body. Uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard of this before, but it was a really cool structure because it was a legislative body with three citizens also appointed by the governor to to oversee the legislation writing process. And um, I was like, oh, wow, I found a way to provide value here. Mm. And really, you know, oh gosh, I hate talking about myself this way, but it was mm-hmm. like, it was kind of like a an egotistical, you know, process <laughs> I went through where people would come up to me and they're like, what are you doing? Like, why aren't you working in Bitcoin? Mm. I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't, I, <laughs> I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know how to, again, I don't know how to add value. And, um, uh, but eventually I'd met some people um, at different Bitcoin companies where I was convinced that like, okay, I actually do have a skill set that could be helpful here. Um, and initially I wasn't looking at Unchained. I knew, I knew the Unchained people um, and I knew one of my best friends growing up was Parker Lewis and, um, and he had joined here. Uh, but I was looking at bigger companies at the time. And then I think Parker took a little bit of offense to that. And he's like, "What are you? Look, if you're going to work in Bitcoin, you're going to work here." <laughs> and he wore me down. I met Drew and Joe, and um, and no, they they really sold me on the vision of what financial services, what Bitcoin native financial services were going to look like. And of course, I had the skill set to come and help this company. Mm. Um, but um, I would say more than anything, it was connecting the dots of like you know, really defining what the product of money was, right? Uh, what a software product of money was and it's not just building a bitcoin wallet it's a necessary part of it but it's you know what do people do with money they transact but it's not just peer-to-peer transactions it's inheritance and it's lending and it's uh trade execution is part of it but you know that was the only thing the exchanges were focused on for so long it was just fx trades it's like what percentage of the you know finance product world is fx trading Mm -hmm. it's like that's just a moment in time like a true vision of all the things that you'll need to be able to do under a Bitcoin standard. Mm-hmm. And Unchained was the only company that I found that could articulate that vision. And I was addicted to it. <laughs> so you you get convinced to join Unchained and you, you've you joined, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know, what was it, like two years ago? Yeah, about yeah. two years. It was like December of 2019. Okay. And, uh, and you've been part of this company for a few years now. You've um, obviously done a lot. Um, tell me more about this vision for Bitcoin in Austin, because we obviously are sitting in the Bitcoin common space, as you explained before. Um, you know, we, we have events going on during South by that's, mm-hmm. uh, that, that are happening. Uh, how did that come about and how does that fit into Unchained's vision? What, why is it here? And what, what's, what, what are you trying to do here? Yeah. Um, oh gosh, there's so much to unpack. Um, I'll put it this way. I don't think it's a mistake that a company like Unchain would be started in Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a character to Austin that even before Unchained 
that attracted a lot of Bitcoiners. There were a lot of core developers here. You were here. Mm. Um, you know, my brother had moved here. I'd moved back here. Um, um, and uh, I, uh, what was going on at the University of Texas with the Satoshi Nakamoto Institute people, mm. Michael, Pierre, mm. Daniel, that crowd. Um, there was a lot of uh, groundwork that was laid over a long period of time of Austin in Austin that was building up Bitcoin talent here. So it's not a surprise that a great company would sprout out of that somewhere. Mm. And um, meeting Drew and Joe, who are the two founders of Unchained Capital, you know, Drew, I know, knew some of these people when he was in college in the physics department, or I don't know what department he was in, I think physics, mm. at the University of Texas, um, that, that Joe was here as well, that, um, you know, there was this sense that um, there was a brand of Bitcoin understanding that was emerging in Austin that I was participating in, but that was already here before I got here, right? And so there was a good foundation, basically, is what I'm trying to say. And from there, um, you know, what do you need to do when you're creating a company? You need people to care, mm-hmm. you need talent to draw from. Um, it's not hard to convince people to move to Austin. Uh, we're also very remote friendly, but we like when people are here. You know, we we pretty shamelessly recruit people to live here, even, <laughs> you know, even if uh, it means dragging your family across the entire United States. A lot of people have done that. Like Marty, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the podcast studio that we're in right now. Um, but like, no, so like, what, what's the vision for that is that, um, look, you know, I was in New York for the, like the, my first half of my Bitcoin life, you know, of like understanding Bitcoin. And New York was a great place to understand Bitcoin because of the rest of the financial world going on around you, you know when you can look from your apartment and look at the New York Fed and think about, you know, all the sh- paper trucks of paper shredders out there and like, what are, what are they shredding? Like, <laughs> what are they hiding from us? Like, none, none of this makes sense. It puts you in a different mindset and can make you appreciate Bitcoin pretty early on. However, I would say there's a character of Austin that's very different. And um, I want to tell a little story about, yeah. about what I think was the, the tipping point, which was uh, in 2020, everyone starts locking down. You know, like economies are shut down, restaurants, no one's seeing each other in person. I mean, we see each other in person because we're not crazy. But like, you know, um, but people aren't even seeing each other in person. And uh, um, Gary, who runs Bitblock Boom, kept his conference in August of that year. And uh, we all went. We had a great time. It was wonderful to see everyone again. And like, there were like, there was a small group of like six or seven of us that had been seeing each other that whole time. We had 250 people there. And it was intoxicating. Mm. And uh, when we returned from Dallas um, in August of uh, 2020, uh, Parker and I talked about it. And we're like, we have to get BitDebs going again. We want to talk to Justin Moon. And like, we have to get together again. Mm. And there was a priority. We prioritized meet space mm. and knowing that, um, that our physical proximity to each other mattered mm. and that uh, great things happened when we got together. Uh, we felt better as people, but we could also accomplish more. We could, you know, you know, all those things. And so we started doing bit devs again. You were there. Mm-hmm. Many people would come. Justin was hosting it. Mm-hmm. And um, people started flying in from all over the country, sometimes overseas, mm-hmm. month after month after month. We were the only place in the world <laughs> where you could get together in person and, and see each other and touch mm-hmm. each other and like, you know, like have that moment together. Um, Unchained hosting that was a risk, mm. right? That they took reputationally. Um, uh, people showing up was a risk that they took, you know, in uncertainty. 
but I think it resonated with people that like we took a risk and we valued getting each other together. Um, so Justin doing that, Gary setting the, uh, the, the sort of pattern for us to follow and the, and the courage that it took to do that was really important. And then it made us realize that, you know, what we were doing here was not happening anywhere else. <laughs> and that uh, we had a responsibility that, it, sorry, that it was good for Bitcoin that we were doing this, right? Not trying to be too egotistical, but it was good for Bitcoin that we were mm. doing this. And that more than anything, things that are good for Bitcoin, like we should be doing. Mm. So we just started building on that. And very soon, both our company and the community that was forming here in Austin outgrew our office, right? <laughs> And uh, we looked around, Joe and, uh, uh, and Parker and I spent a lot of time looking at different offices. Like I said at the beginning, we went, we went through plenty of glass monstrosities and <laughs> uh, you know terrible fiat buildings. And we found this place. We wanted to get the entire floor, but it was very important to us that we were at least the, we, we would at least initiate a space for Bitcoiners um, that was not unchained space. Um, you can, you know, if I'm pointing outside for everyone listening right now, but right outside of here is a, you know, rather large, you know, floor spanning, uh, room that we host bit devs in, but we wanted a space, you know, we thought about what, what would be valuable to bring people together to do. It was the fraternity of things like, you know, just getting together and having happy hours and stuff like that. It was education. So bit devs is an educational experience. Um, your classes, you know, mm -hmm. teaching other uh, developers, bringing them into the Bitcoin world, right? The hackathons uh, for PlebFi and, um, you know, those, those lightning kinds of, hackathon, this lightning weekend, hackathon yeah. <laughs> this weekend, um, you know, having a place where we could get together and do that, we thought was good for Bitcoin. Um, and, uh, you know, it's good for Unchained too, but like really it, it's more than that because this isn't Unchained space. Um, we have co-sponsors, Nidig and Spiral and 1031 and, mm. you know, this goes on Casa and, you know, you know, tons and tons of companies here that are helping subsidize the space, not just Unchained. Mm. And um, what's really important about this space is that we get that, that venue where um, if you want to learn about Bitcoin, whether it's a highly technical thing or more entry level thing, that there's a venue for that. Mm. If you're starting a business and you need a space to work out of, right, this can operate as your co-working space. Mm that if you have a story to tell, right? And you want to reach an audience that we have a professional, nice place to do that, right? Beautiful. <laughs> um, that uh, really it was a space for Bitcoiners, right? Where Bitcoin could be at the center of everything, right? And that our physical, our physical proximity to each other, our ability to meet up in person and value that time together was in a beautiful space. And it is a beautiful space and we, uh, so many events going on. It, it's, it's funny because like we had to actually wait before this particular yeah. podcast because Marty was recording with Alex. Then right after us, I think Marty is recording with Pete and uh, Christian. Christian, right? Yeah. Like, so everything is just sort of like <clears throat> happening here. And of course, we got like a couple of guys behind the camera over here that are that, that are like helping us with the. Uh, uh, with recording that are from Pleb Lab, it, it's it's really become sort of like a community here, and it, it really does feel like there's momentum around this community. Where where do you want it to go? Where do you where do you see it going? What what's your vision five ten years from now? How how is this going to sort of develop? Yeah, so I, I think that I think of this more as like an Austin community than a Bitcoin community. Mm. I want to be 
clear that I don't actually think there is a Bitcoin community. <laughs> I don't think that actually exists. And it's global. But, you know, we tongue in cheek say, you know, Austin's the Bitcoin capital of the world, right? Um, right now, that's kind of true in the sense that, like, that's where Bitcoiners are, happen to be convening, right? Mm -hmm. Over the next five or 10 years, I hope people copy us, mm -hmm. right? I hope the same thing exists in LA. I hope the same thing exists in Nashville. I hope the same thing exists in London, right? Um, because uh, what I think is good for Bitcoin is that we are bringing together motivated, smart people uh, where we're educating the next generation of Bitcoiners, uh, where we're incubating the next generation of Bitcoin companies, right? Um, and that, that does require a lot of coordination. That requires people getting together in person whether it's for an educational purpose or a hackathon or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so what I hope is that we actually see something where this gets copied in dozens of places over a relatively short amount of time. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, we'll still be the capital of the world here. <laughs> and we did, you know, kind of, you know, you know, uh, take, take this to the next level. Mm -hmm. um, but um, at, the, at the same time, it's, it's not going to be unique just to us, right? Mm -hmm. And all the people that visit us from London and New York and Nashville all the time, they're going to do this in their hometowns as well. Mm. That's what I hope happens. Indeed. Uh, that's, a, that's a compelling vision that I, I really hope uh, other cities can do. So let's uh, switch gears for a moment sure. because you are known also for um, having orange-pilled your mother-in-law. So can you tell us a little bit more about what that was? Who is she <laughs> and what, what, what happened? It, it's weird to be known for who you got into Bitcoin more than... <laughs> yourself in Bitcoin. <laughs> but yes, uh, no, my, uh, my mother-in-law is uh, Cynthia Lummis. She's the U.S. Senator uh, from Wyoming. Um, and she's been on this podcast before. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, no, I mean, the, the story is really fun is, uh, you know, I'd been in for a few years and uh, we spend Christmas in Wyoming every year. We go skiing and do all that fun stuff, be, be in the snow. Mm -hmm. And uh, for a Christmas gift one year, I decided that I was going to get her Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> what year was this, just roughly? I can't remember, to okay. be honest. I think it was 2013 or 2014. It's Christmas of one of those oh, two very years. Very early, yeah. Um, it's either 2013 or 2014. And uh, But actually, her story on this is pretty cool, is that, um, so she bought Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. uh, she was a congressman at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and um, then, you know, it just sort of sat there, mm -hmm. right? And... Uh, I think it was a year later, I decided to teach her about self-custody. Mm. So I bought a, uh, I think it was a Trezor at mm. the time. And I was going to teach her how to take control over the Bitcoin. And um, so we go into her exchange account to uh, get the Bitcoin out and put it on the Trezor. And she's locked out. <laughs> and it wasn't like a problem with 2FA uh -huh. or a password reset or anything like that. It was that this exchange in particular had taken the view that their money transmitter license was not valid in the state of Wyoming. Oh, no. And instead of just letting people in Wyoming, like, take their coins and go, go do whatever, they just locked people's accounts mm. for three years. Force hodling. <laughs> yeah. So she learned a lot of lessons there uh, about Bitcoin without actually having access to her initial, you know, Bitcoin purchase. And it was actually the Wyoming Blockchain Task Force that changed the money transmission laws. <laughs> it wasn't for those purposes, of course, uh -huh. that ended up unlocking the Bitcoin from all the exchanges that, that the Wyoming citizens were on. But um, no, I mean, to her credit, I mean, she tells her story really well, is that, uh, you know, Cynthia, she was already a proponent for freedom in the world. Mm. 
she already had a libertarian streak mm-hmm. to her conservative, you know, worldview. She had been the U.S. treasurer, or sorry, U.S. treasurer. She'd been the treasurer of Wyoming mm-hmm. uh, prior to that. She had a sophisticated knowledge of uh, how uh, money, what money was and what gave value to money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for orange pilling her was really just sort of a quick thing. She got it really <laughs> fast. Yeah. It also helped that, you know, my wife, her daughter, uh-huh. Annalise, was already pretty deep as well <laughs> on, 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 in the Bitcoin rabbit hole. Yeah. yeah speaking of your wife, uh, you know, that that was, uh, I, I, I did not expect to be working with her on a book before I worked on a book with you. Uh, but yeah, she, she helped write this book over here, uh, Bitcoin and the American Dream. Um, what, what's the story between you two and how you got her orange pilled as well? So like what, what happened there? Uh, was it just because you were dating and she was interested or was it more than that? It was competition more than anything. <laughs> she saw what I was doing. She's like, he can't, he can't possibly do better than I do in, in life. And so she was, we were competitively uh, stacking before we were married. Wow. And, um, and she caught, she caught up pretty fast. <laughs> um, uh, no, I mean like, uh, no, uh, she's an excellent writer. Uh, again, like she had a great education. Uh, she had been exposed. Uh, she had a deep understanding of money, uh, conservative values that that um, had uh, could, could map very well to an understanding of Bitcoin, um, an understanding of economics, um, and at least people around her that could uh, lend credibility to the technical benefits of of Bitcoin. Mm. So, um, yeah, I mean, like. Yeah, she 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 fell before her mom uh, mm-hmm. uh, down this rabbit hole and was uh, definitely a huge uh, part of getting our first uh, U.S. senator uh, <laughs> backing backing Bitcoin. Yeah, and I, I gotta say, she, I, I'm sure you're a good writer, but Annalise is pretty pretty awesome. Oh, I'm not even close. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's like she she went to Columbia Journalism uh-huh. School, like mm-hmm. she. she, she she really knows yeah, her you, stuff. You, you marry pretty well. You yeah. marry pretty well. well you, you so I'm told all the time. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're at Unchained. We're, we're or it, within the same floor as Unchained anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, tell me a little bit more about like sort of where the company is going and uh, what, what you're looking to do there. Because we, um, you know, you, you've obviously joined, you have this vision for... Mm-hmm. I guess uh, financial services around Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what are some things that are coming up that you can share with us as a as a company? Sure. Um, so yeah, right now you know you know I lo- really look at it as uh, like the big three mm-hmm. in financial services. The first thing we ever did at Unchained was lending, mm-hmm. but we built a custody model around lending. I say we. This is before I got here. This is mm-hmm. Joe and Drew. You know, you know, first starting out is that when they built the the you know, one of the first ever Bitcoin-backed lending protocols out there is um, they did things differently than the other first startups, right? Mm-hmm. Who outsourced custody to third parties and really were just sort of, you know, sales and marketing veneers on top of someone else's tech. Mm-hmm. Like Dhruv built uh, a multi-sig setup for custodying collateral that was pretty narrow mm-hmm. in, in, in the sense that like this was a Bitcoin wallet meant for mm-hmm for collateral, right? Mm-hmm. So it wasn't super flexible or anything mm-hmm. like that, but it did its job well. Mm-hmm. And they coined the term collaborative custody. Mm-hmm. This idea that uh, even in loan collateral, you could eliminate single points of failure, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you could share private key ownership with the borrower, mm-hmm. the lender, 
and with another third party to create this sort of Bitcoin native way of doing uh, a loan. That collaborative custody idea transformed into a product of its own, of a custody arrangement for anyone, uh, you know, for unencumbered Bitcoin, right? Where a typical collaborative custody arrangement is where our customer, our client, has two keys and we have one in a two of three setup. So they are sovereign over their Bitcoin, but there's some backup there, right? Yeah, or they can even use us as an operational signer every day. And um, so there's a few things like these pillars, this idea of in financial services is like, if you can custody in a trusted manner, in a transparently good manner, if you can lend and if you can do trade execution, like you can swap Bitcoin for dollars and vice versa, that um, you kind of have the pillars in which to build any combination of financial services. If you can do those three things, you can do everything in financial services. And what we've spent our time doing so far is really solidifying those three pillars, right? And so what's coming up soon is we're expanding our trade execution availability to anyone in our application. Right now, we operate mostly as an OTC desk. You call a trader up on the phone, you execute your trades, they're OTC sized as well. So we'll start going down market a little bit and you'll be able to do it through the application. But we'll also start getting, um, you know, these, these uh, leveraged benefits from having all three of these on really solid footing. Um, having, uh, having your, your uh, cold storage collaborative custody wallet set up makes it better for you to buy Bitcoin because you buy Bitcoin directly into cold storage with keys that you control. You're limiting your counterparty risk and you, you're, you're taking the most direct way of complete ownership over your Bitcoin. If you have trading and you have lending, right? Mm -hmm. And something bad happens, you know, Bitcoin's price cuts in half and you have margin call responsibilities. The ability to buy Bitcoin to add more collateral or to sell Bitcoin to pay down principal mm -hmm. and that trade execution part makes the lending product better, mm -hmm. right? Um, if the reason you're taking out a loan is to buy more Bitcoin and you have all these uh, financial services, you know, sort of stacked on each other, then of course that's just buying Bitcoin with Bitcoin, right? <laughs> um, and so we get to do all these things and expand our financial service offerings. Um, an IRA that mm. we're doing, uh, we partnered and ended up buying um, Keykeeper, Jeff Andrews' company, mm. to do IRA. I mean, it's a legal structure on top of a vault, mm. you know, on top of a, a custody arrangement, right? Mm. And so, again, like, those pillars allow you to expand into pretty much any form of financial service that you can imagine. And our job at Unchained, the, our vision of it at Unchained is what we call Bitcoin native financial services, is to constrain ourselves to the solutions that um, keep our customers as close to the protocol as possible, mm -hmm. right? So we're not doing a custody arrangement with Shamir Secret Sharing or MPC. No, it's Bitcoin's multisig, mm -hmm. right? And those uh, those lack the, the the lack of abstraction there. Um, can be challenging from a UX perspective, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, we want to our customers to truly benefit from the unique properties of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And that's what sort of guides us. Those are the guardrails in which we operate. Mm -hmm. Well, um, that that sounds great. Uh, one last thing sort mm -hmm. of that we need to cover. Um, of course, um, 
you know, you you were the guy that uh, that told me when Bitcoin hits ten thousand, yeah, we we have to go get hats, and uh-huh. um, and this this hat, this wonderful hat, is a result of that. It cost me nine hundred dollars. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't realize that it would cost that much. What what are we gonna do when uh, when Bitcoin hits fifty thousand? What what's the deal here? Letty's boots in Fort Worth. Mm. So it hit fifty thousand, and uh-huh. then we didn't lock in the boots, which oh, yeah. cursed us, and mm-hmm. we went below again. But uh, yeah, our ten thousand dollars hats are going to turn into our fifty thousand dollars boots. Mm-hmm. I don't know where we're going. Really, what we should be asking ourselves is, where are we going to do it? One hundred thousand. Mm. That's going to be a special moment. Yeah, but, that uh, is going to be a special moment, and we're going to have to come up with something other tanks? than boots. Do we just buy tanks, or is it guns? Uh, or <laughs> what do we do for? Well, how, how much am I going to spend on the boots? That that, that that's the thing. About, it, it's hat money. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. That's not, yeah. it's not terrible. It's especially with inflation. Yeah. For so. for special occasions. <laughs> oh. All right. So where can people find you? Where can people follow you? Oh yeah. Uh, so I'm uh, at Will Cole on. Twitter, definitely the best place to find me. I don't, I don't really go anywhere else. I'm not on Facebook or anything. Well, I mean, like you're you're at Unchained, so you can yeah, at least uh, promote Unchained. that website. Yeah. Yes, uh, Unchained. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so bad at this. Uh, yeah, Unchained.com, uh, where you can uh, you know sign up for the custody product for free, or you can go through our concierge onboarding process, which you'll get handheld by experts on uh, how to get set up with uh, the hardware wallets and multi-sig, IRAs, all that fun stuff. And uh, yeah, so Unchained.com and at Will Cole on Twitter. All right. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks, Jimmy. Unchained Capital is a sponsor of this podcast. I'm an advisor to the company. I know the team well, and I'm excited for what they are building. If you need multi-sig, collaborative custody, or a Bitcoin native financial services partner, learn more at Unchained.com. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Bitcoin Fixes This. Will Cole can be found at at Will Cole on Twitter. And his website is, of course, Unchained.com. Until next time, fiat the best. <laughs>